0: Chapter 8 of the Weird Picture. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Weird Picture by John R. Carling. Chapter 8 High Mass and What Happened at It. The morning dawned more soft and lovely than the preceding one, a boon to the good people of Rivoli for it was a gala day with them. Daphne, my uncle, and myself rose with the break of day, and at an early hour we were standing in the marketplace watching the worshippers throng into the cathedral. Be it far from me to attempt to describe the various ornaments and robes displayed by the dames of Rivoli on this festal occasion, the silver chains and rich headdresses, the dainty cloaks and embroidered kirtles, SUFFICE IT TO SAY THERE WAS SUFFICIENT WHITE, BLUE, AND BLACK AMONG THEM TO GLADDEN THE HEART OF HIS HOLINESS, THE LATE POPE, WHO HAS EXPRESSED HIS APPROVAL OF THESE COLORS AS MOST BECOMING TO YOUNG PERSONS. NOR WERE SOBER GRAY AND BROWN WANTING, HUES SUITABLE, ACCORDING TO THE SAME AUTHORITY, TO LADIES OF A MORE ADVANCED AGE. TO BE OR NOT TO BE, THAT IS THE QUESTION, murmured MY UNCLE, AS THE LAST DEVOTEE FILED INTO THE CATHEDRAL and the great square was left to us. Whether tis nobler to follow the crowd into this edifice to witness a ceremony whose superstition provokes my irreverence, or to stroll onward in the soft morning air and finish this weed. Havana versus Church, that is the question. No question at all, said Daphne, and compelling her pagan parent to fling away his cigar and assume a more decorous air, she drew him within the cathedral. As we came as spectators only, we took up our position in a side cloister, looking round for the artist among the crowd of worshippers. I at length discovered him in the very first line of seats, reading a missal, with such attention that he never once glanced to left or right. His devout air and the position he had taken so near the chancel evidently implied an intention to partake of the communion." On the high altar, seven lofty candlesticks of solid silver, each with its seven waxen tapers, gleamed on the great brazen gates of the chancel, and on the lofty casement above, with its blazoned saints and angels, and fretwork of purple and gold. The splendour was sufficient to illumine the whole length of the nave, and contrasted with the gloom of the more remote parts of the edifice, had a dazzling, not to say theatrical effect. We had not occupied our position in the aisle above 2 minutes when forth from the sacristy issued the train of the priests and their auxiliaries thurifers swinging slow their golden censers and acolytes with lighted tapers led the way to the chancel father ignatius his eyes fixed on the ground came last robed in a magnificent white cope and bearing under a veil the sacred vessels which he deposited on the altar What is the matter? remarked Daphne presently. Why do they not begin? This question found an echo in my own mind. Though several minutes had elapsed since Ignatius had entered the sanctuary, he had not yet begun the prefatory rite of incensing the crucifix, but was conversing in whispers with his deacon, and their motions and glances, which were directed towards Angelo, seemed to intimate that the artist was the subject of their talk. It was with considerable surprise that we saw the deacon leave the sanctuary and, walking over to the spot where Angelo sat, still absorbed in his missile, hold a brief but animated conversation with him. Presently he returned to the side of Father Ignatius. Whatever the object of this intercourse may have been, it had met with failure, to judge by the perplexed looks of the deacon. The service commenced, the organ... "'touched by a master hand, "'rolled with grand cadence through the cathedral now, "'swelling high and loud to the lofty arches above, "'now dying away with faint echoes in far-off aisles. "'From the chancel issued voices so mysteriously beautiful "'as to suggest the idea of a hidden choir of angels.' Daphne was deeply interested, and even my anti-ecclesiastical uncle condescended to remark that it was a well-organized noise. As for me, the character of the worship was such that at any other time it would have enthralled my senses and filled me with dreams of medievalism. But on the present occasion— curiosity to know the nature of the communication that had passed between Angelo and the deacon overcame every other feeling and made me inattentive to the solemnity. The tinkling bell of the acolytes sounded and the assembly fell on their knees as Father Ignatius elevated the sacred host for the adoration of the faithful. The sun by this time had mounted high above the rooftops and was now gilding the chancel window with its splendor. And from the holy dove figured at the apex of this casement, arrowy beams of mystic and many-colored light slanted full on the head of the aged priest, lighting up a countenance thin and ascetic, yet bearing in every liniment the lofty spirit and iron will of a Hildebrand. The time had come for the people to receive the Mass. Among the first to advance and kneel reverently at the altar rails was Angelo my position prevented me from seeing his face. I could not help wondering whether his faith was sincere, and whether, in accordance with the spirit of the holy mystery, he was in charity with all mankind, even with me, his rival. The administration of the sacrament was conducted by Father Ignatius, accompanied by the deacon, who held the patent under his host as it was placed on the tongue of the receiver." The worthy padre commenced at the epistle side of the altar. Angelo was the ninth in order from that end. We noticed with a surprise that Ignatius, while giving the host to the first eight, never once looked at them, but kept his eyes all the time on Angelo with a fixed, stony expression that gave no indication of his thoughts. I waited with painful interest for the priest to confront Angelo, "'absurdly thinking there might be some secret between them, "'and that in addition to the ritual words "'Ignatius might whisper others not of sacred import. "'I was certainly not prepared for the result. "'As Angelo reverently elevated his face "'to receive the wafer between his lips, "'Ignatius, affecting not to notice the action, "'passed him by for the next communicant "'and proceeded with the delivery.' I was doubtful at first whether I had seen aright, but the looks, interchanged among the assembly, told me that others, too, had observed the action. My wonder found its reflection in the wide-open eyes of Daphne. Her arm trembled on mine, but she did not speak, for a deep silence had fallen over all, and the faintest whisper would have attracted attention. What could be the reason for this action on the part of the priest? What could Angelo have done to forfeit the privileges of the church? Quick as a flash of light, there rose before me the confessional scene of the preceding day. Was the rejection of Angelo the result of the recital made to Father Ignatius by the silver-haired penitent? Of the nature of that confession, I had only an inkling, but that was the key to this priest's conduct, I felt certain. The first line of communicants retired to their seats— The artist did not move, but remained kneeling, solitary and silent, his lips pressing the cold marble chancel rails. His hands clasped nervously above his dark hair, as if he were supplicating the church, his mother, to receive and forgive an erring child. For a brief moment I had entertained the idea that Ignatius, in passing Angelo by, had perhaps committed an oversight— It was impossible now for him not to perceive the artist, but with a face cold and impenetrable as marble, he stood erect within the chancel, openly ignoring the other's mute appeal to be noticed. It was clear that his refusal to give the communion to him was a deliberate act. The most exquisite penalty that can fall on the soul of a devout Catholic had fallen on Angelo. A rustle of surprise passed through the assembly like the ripple of the forest leaves swayed by the summer breeze. Despite my jealousy, I could not help pitying the artist at having to suffer this slight in the face of a great mass of people. He had crossed the sea and travelled hundreds of miles expressly, so he had told us, to be present at this solemn festa, a festa hallowed by all the memories of his childhood and youth and the end of it all was to become an excommunicate from the church he loved, an object of suspicion to the people among whom he had been brought up. Several minutes had elapsed since the first communicants had retired. A second line had not yet come forward, and the artist continued to kneel in silent loneliness. Still he moved not, as if dreading to lift his head and face the wondering eyes of the faithful." Father Ignatius was in a dilemma. Knowing, as I supposed, his old protégé's passionate nature, he feared that a command for the artist to retire might provoke an outburst of rage that would profane the sacred solemnity. He hesitated to speak, and so this singular tableau continued some moments longer, and people looked at each other, wondering how it was going to end. Suddenly, THE DEEP HUSH AND AWE THAT LAY ON ALL WAS BROKEN. SWEETLY, SOLEMNLY, FROM SOME HIDDEN PORTION OF THE CHANCEL, IN TONES AS CLEAR AS A SILVER BELL, THE VOICE OF A WOMAN AROSE. SHE WAS SINGING A SACRED SOLO, AND THE WORDS DIRECTED NONE TO DRAW NEAR THE altar, BUT THOSE WHOSE CONSCIENCES WERE PURE, WHOSE LIVES WERE HOLY. THE EFFECT OF THIS MUSIC WAS THRILLING IN THE EXTREME. Whether applicable or not to the would-be communicant, certain it was that his whole figure quivered like an aspen, and his head sank still lower on the chancel rails. The solo did not form part of Mozart's Mass, and I could not help thinking afterwards that Father Ignatius had previously directed that the words should be sung in the event of the artist presenting himself at the altar. Still Angelo did not stir— and the deacon glanced at Father Ignatius as if apprehensive of a disturbance. The ecclesiastic staved off the difficulty for a time by motioning the attendants to bring forward a second line of communicants, who, advancing to the chancel, knelt some on one side of Angelo, some on the other. Would the priest ignore the artist a second time? Was the thought that filled every mind in the cathedral? Interest gleamed from every face. The sanctuary had assumed, for the time being, the aspect of a stage, and with bated breath the assembly awaited the result, as an audience awaits the denouement of a play. The only person who showed no trace of feeling was Ignatius himself. With solemn air he proceeded to the delivery of the sacrament. Once more he approached the artist, who elevated his face to receive the host, and once more did Ignatius pass him by. At this second refusal, Angelo bounded to his feet with a suddenness that startled everyone except Ignatius, who, calm and dignified, drew back a few paces, covering with a linen corporal the patent containing the wafers, as if to guard them from seizure or profanation. With eyes of fire and lips of scorn, Angelo glared round on the assembly, as if in disdain of any opinion they might have formed of him his face proud, dark, and defiant. The cathedral attendants, observing his wild bearing, were stepping forward to remove him, but a signal from Father Ignatius checked their advance. "'Peace!' he exclaimed with lifted hand, and at his word the rising murmur of many voices was hushed. "'Peace! Let there be no tumult! I pray you, my children!' "'My conduct may seem harsh, but the occasion warrants it. "'My son,' he continued, turning to the artist, "'you have forced this humiliation on yourself. "'Warned yester even by me "'that you had forfeited the privileges of the church, "'you have yet dared to disobey her voice "'and approach her hallowed altar. "'Leave this holy place, I pray you in quietude, "'or a force be employed in your removal.' ON YOUR HEAD THE GUILD OF PROFANATION. A WAVE OF EMOTION SWEPT OVER ANGELO, BUT WITH AN EFFORT HE SUBDUED IT AND FACED THE PRIEST. ONE QUESTION AND I RETIRE. FOR WHAT REASON DO YOU THUS REFUSE ME THE MASS? THE REVERENCE DUE TO THE HOLY MYSTERIES forbids YOU TO PARTICIPATE IN THEM. NOW GO. WOULD THAT MY WORDS MIGHT BE vade IN PACE. The voice of a judge giving sentence of death could not have been more impressive than those solemn tones issuing from the depths of the chancel. Will you compel me to speak out? He added, as the artist showed no sign of moving. Let your own conscience vindicate me. My conscience acquits me of any action that can justify you in excluding me from the communion. The saints pardon thee that falsehood, my son. Falsehood? repeated the artist. "'stepping up to the chancel rails with clenched hands, "'and with so dark an expression on his face "'that I thought he was going to attack Ignatius. "'If it were not for your age and holy office, "'you would not dare use such words to me. "'But the priest is protected by his alb and chasubal. "'As a woman by her sex, you have publicly affronted me. "'I demand an explanation, nor will I retire till you give it.' "'This is not the time or place. "'At the confessional I will hear thee, "'nay, absolve thee, "'but come not as thou art to the holy altar.' "'I tell you,' Angelo began angrily, "'but Ignatius would not hear him. "'Too long have we listened to thee,' "'he exclaimed with a gesture of impatience. "'Attendance, remove this brawler. "'Ere from the high altar we curse him "'with bell, book, and candle. "'Touch me at your peril.' cried angelo fiercely who dare accuse me of his eyes glaring defiantly round at one and all suddenly lighted upon us there in that hour of his humiliation he held a sight calculated to call up all the bitterness of his nature the woman whom he loved reclining in the arms of the man whom he hated daphne with a frightened air was clinging half fainting to me He cast a look at her as if appealing for sympathy, but in the expression of her face and in the quickly averted motion of her head, he read the loss of all his hopes. I was but human. It was ignoble of me, I know, but I could not repress the exultant thought that this was a splendid triumph for me. A similar thought was evidently passing through the mind of the artist. Despair caused him to stand immovable, "'staring in Daphne's direction, "'regardless of the people's murmurs "'that rose on the air "'like the sound of many waters, "'regardless of the advice "'of the attendants "'to withdraw quietly. "'Like a statue he stood, "'deaf to their appeals, "'till at length, "'losing their patience, "'the attendants, "'aided by some of the worshippers, "'laid hands on him "'to enforce his removal. "'Their grasp seemed to rouse "'all the latent fury of his nature.' "'Touch me at your peril,' he cried, "'struggling to free himself from their grasp "'and actually striking out among them "'with clenched hands. "'Who dare accuse me of guilt?' "'I have not deserved this,' he continued, "'panting and breathless, "'as he was dragged with more force "'than ceremony from the chancel. "'Let me go, release my wrists. "'I am going quietly, I tell you. "'Will you not take my word? "'Cowards!' "'Oh, if my hands were but free! "'I let me go, I tell you! "'Let me!' "'The oaken door of the sacristy "'removed the struggling group from our view, "'and the scene that for the space of a few minutes "'had degraded a holy solemnity "'to the level of a stage representation "'was at an end. "'Why, the boy must be mad!' cried my uncle, "'as Angelo's cries became lost in the distance. "'Daphne lay a dead weight in my arms.' She has fainted, I whispered to her father, and I bore her far away from the worshippers to the entrance of the cathedral for the cool morning air to revive her. It is impossible to describe my thoughts as I held her close to me. Once before, on the very morn of her intended wedding, she had been snatched away, and now on a second occasion, when another rival seemed on the point of winning her and of triumphing over me events had conspired to destroy all his hopes. Was there not a fatality in this? Was not destiny reserving Daphne for me alone? No one shall ever have you but myself, I murmured, as I gazed on her beautiful face. An old woman had been slowly following us. She now offered us her assistance. Let me see to her, she said, as I laid her at the pedestal of a font near the porch and kneeling, sustained her head on my knee. Poor pretty lady, she will soon come to. And she proceeded to remove Daphne's hat, and to loosen her cloak and dress. We waited a few moments, but she lay as still and white as the alabaster font above her. Is there no water to be had? said my uncle, lifting the lid of the baptismal basin and peeping in. None here. Ah, the holy water at the porch. Good. "'The saints forbid!' exclaimed the old dame fervently. "'It would be sacrilege!' "'The holy water couldn't be put to a better use,' I said, "'as my uncle darted to look for some receptacle to convey the water in. "'Is not this lady's name Daphne Leslie?' inquired the old dame, "'chafing the hands of her patient. "'Yes, how did you learn it?' I asked in amazement. "'I have heard it often enough,' she smiled, "'on the lips of my boy Angelo.' "'You know him well. "'I am his old nurse. "'Perhaps you have heard him speak of me.' "'I believe I have,' I replied. "'Ah, me! "'This lady has turned my poor boy's brain. "'He is mad, quite mad, with love for her. "'No sleep had he last night.' "'All through the long hours he was walking his room to and fro, "'to and fro, to and fro, repeating her name. "'Ah!' "'Why did Father Ignatius frown so on him? "'I want to tell her that he is a good youth "'and can have done nothing wrong. "'The father is a hard man, "'and the lightest trifle displeases him. "'I saw this lady faint at my poor boy's disgrace, "'and I want to tell her that it is all well with him. "'Jesu Maria,' she ejaculated suddenly, "'looking with loving adoration on Daphne's face. "'How beautiful she is!' a worthy match for my handsome boy. So this, then, was her motive in attending Daphne, to pour into her ear the praises of Angelo, and to assure her of the goodness of his character. Your boy, as you call him, shall never have Daphne, I exclaimed savagely, never! and in an ecstasy of rage and love I kissed her passionately, and at the very moment my lips met hers, her dark eyes opened wide and looked full into mine. Was it the reflection of my own eyes that I beheld in hers, or did they really shine with a tender light? Did her fingers really return my pressure, or was it but the effect of my imagination? I could not tell. She had returned to her unconscious state again, THE OLD WOMAN HAD RISEN TO HER FEET, AND WAS REGARDING ME WITH A SUPERB CONTEMPT THAT WOULD HAVE DONE CREDIT TO THE PRINCE OF DARKNESS. "'SO YOU, THEN, ARE THE RIVAL OF WHOM MY BOY SPEAKS IN HIS DREAMS, YOU!' SHE EXCLAIMED WITH A GESTURE OF disdain. "'AND DO YOU HOPE TO WIN THIS LADY FROM HIM, YOU? IT WILL NOT BE BY THE BEAUTY OF YOUR FACE, THEN. COMPARED WITH YOU, MY BOY IS AN ANGEL.' "'I thank you for your services,' I replied coldly, "'but I can dispense with them and with your compliments, too. "'I wish you good day, madam.' "'And, seeing that my uncle could not find a vessel "'in which to convey the water, "'I lifted Daphne and carried her over to him. "'The old dame remained standing on the spot where I had left her, "'and, after contemplating me for a few seconds, "'walked off with a stately air. "'What have you done to offend our good bond?' "'asked my uncle, as he sprinkled Daphne's face and throat with water. "'Who do you think she is? "'Florence Nightingale?' "'Angelo's nurse. "'She was instituting comparisons between your humble servant "'and her oil-and-color protege, so I dismissed her.' "'Very slowly Daphne recovered from her swoon, "'smiling faintly at her weakness, "'and very tenderly did I lead her to her seat.' As soon as she was quite recovered, my uncle left us to ascertain what had been done with Angelo. "'I feel quite frightened, Frank,' said Daphne, trembling all over, at what has just happened. Why did the priest refuse Angelo the sacrament? That is a mystery I too would like to solve.' The priest must have had some reason for his action, she rejoined. "'How awful Angelo looked when he jumped to his feet and glared around on the people.' Promise me that you will not leave me alone with him, she said, laying her hand confidingly on my arm. I am afraid of him now. I did not think he would be so wild and passionate. I gave her the required promise, knowing that the reason she exacted it was her dread lest the artist should use such opportunity for declaring his love to her. She drew, perhaps unconsciously, nearer to me, and her arm within mine tightened its clasp. At the same time a rose she was wearing in her hat, a flower from the bouquet Angelo had given her the previous day, fell from its stalk. Daphne affected not to notice its fall, and it lay neglected, its petals scattered and withered as the hopes of the donor. "'Well, what have they done with Angelo?' said I to my uncle, as that worthy returned to us. His paroxysm of fury passed off after a few minutes, so they let him go." Do you think, I whispered to my uncle as we journeyed homewards, that Angelo's Madonna had anything to do with his expulsion from the communion? I am pretty sure that it had not, was the reply. Angelo was a much more grave offense. End of chapter 8